0: Okay, we have started the book of Ezekiel. There's a favorite of everybody's, the one that everybody's read over and over. Um, it's certainly an unusual book. If you try to think of Ezekiel, who he was and what he was like, you can't help but say, as my father used to say, we will not conform. <laughs> And we will be rugged individualists, everyone. That's what we heard around our table regularly. And this guy, Ezekiel, had to be one of those fellas. He just was different than anybody else. And nobody like him. There's no book like this in the Bible. It stands alone in the things that happens to Ezekiel. Last week we started with a vision of God he said I had a vision of God and here's what it was like and he tells us about four angelic creatures who come down they got four faces they got four wings they got feet like a cat's feet man like a a hand hands like a man Uh, I mean you can't believe it and he's telling us about these creatures who move swiftly in any direction without turning and he sees these giant wheels go way up to heaven and way down to earth they're full of eyes and we see colors amber and crystal and all the colors of the rainbow we look up into a blue heaven and there's God on his throne whose body appears to be all fire and I'll tell you he's had a sight to be sure we think that other people saw these same creatures. And they, they various ones mention a creature. But nobody tells us like Ezekiel about the four faces. Nobody ever told us that. And so we have quite an extraordinary point of view from this man. So I think what happened is he saw more than anybody else. He got a good look at him, and God said, I'm going to give you a real good look. Wow, what do you think of that? And we stand amazed people say they can't be real. Well, who said? (laughs) Uh, Who said they can't be real? And we warned last week about trying to bring God to the bar of our mind. And saying, okay, now I know everything, God, so we've got to make sure I understand everything you're doing. No, no, you don't. And no, no, you can't understand everything God does. And, and uh, you can't uh, say, well, we can't count this as real because we don't understand it. No, we have to stand back and say, well, God does what he wants. And he's not asking you if you get it. Neither is he asking for your approval. He's God. He's going to do what he wants. And so chapter 1 gives us the overwhelming feeling that God is seriously in charge in a time when we say, no, 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 it's all gone babylon has come and besieged jerusalem uh, ezekiel has been hauled out of his home and carried off as a prisoner along with a whole bunch of other uh jewish people and you say boy these are the worst times that you could ever think of we've never seen such trouble in the world as ezekiel have then he sees god who's perfectly in charge no matter what's going on in the world he's in charge and we get the full concept that god knows and now he's chosen this man ezekiel to be a prophet to speak on his behalf what we're about to read is the strangest most unusual thing you've ever heard and when you read it you scratch your head and you say it doesn't make sense Well, let's see if we can make some sense out of it uh, and see if we can learn something by it because uh, this kind of reminds us of the world we live in now you say well this world is crashing and burning everything's a mess and god says i got it i'm okay (laughs) we'll be all right all right so we're going to trust in god that being sitting in that blue azure throne up in heaven he's he's all right he's going to take care of things and so he's chosen ezekiel to communicate at this really hard time in the history of the jewish people It's one of the most difficult times of all here we go chapter two of ezekiel And he, that is God, said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak to thee. Now he fell over, because when he saw God sitting on a throne, it was more than he could take. And we see that repeated when people get a good look at God. They're out. Knocked over. Overwhelmed. And people say, and I think too, if you were transported this second into the presence of God... You might just die. I don't know if you can handle it. There's so much glory. And so he's got a little glimpse up there. He saw these creatures first moving throughout the earth, doing God's will. And then he looked up and there was God and he fell over. And so God says, stand up. <laughs> I want to talk to you. Verse 2, the spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me on my feet that I heard him that spake unto me. So see, he didn't have enough energy to get up. God so here, I'll set you up. <laughs> he picked him up, set him up there. Now you're standing there. This is really unusual. Here we go. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, the rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. They are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, And whether they will hear or whether they will not forbear, they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there has been a prophet among them. So he says, these people won't listen. They haven't listened for years. They refuse to listen to me. And you're going to go talk to them. And they're probably not going to listen to you either. I just want to make sure that they know there was a prophet in their midst. So uh, it sounds like he's going to be unsuccessful. And uh, he's going to try, but they're not going to listen. God said they won't listen to him. They try over and over. So I'm going to send you to speak to them. And we'll see if we can get this straightened out. Right now, let's go down uh, to for verse 8. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat what I give thee. When I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, it was written therein and within and without, and there were written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat what thou findest. Eat this roll, go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. And then I did it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. So I want you to tell him some things, and I'm writing them down on a scroll. I'm going to have you eat this. This is, this is only the beginning of strange things. All right? So he's, I'll eat this thing. So he reads it first. He looks it up and he opens it and he says, Man, this is full of bad news. It's all lamentations and woe. It's all bad news and mourning. This is a horrible scroll. So eat it. So, So he says, He eats it and it was sweet as honey. How could it be so bad and taste so good? Why does he want him to eat it? Well, I think it's clear enough that in order to really understand God's word, you have to consume it. You can't read it like a novel at home. eh, I read this novel, throw it on the shelf, and I don't care what it ever says. The Bible is something you have to consume. you got to eat it and eat it and get it inside of you. It becomes a part of you, and that's all he's asking him to do. Eat this, but it's really bad news. I don't want this bad news. Eat it. He eats it, and it's sweet. Now, why would bad news taste sweet? Well, God will, to do God's will, is not always easy, but it's always the best thing. So he's got to have a message. It's all bad news. Lamentations and woes, horrible things, I got to tell you. He says, uh, he says, but when I consume it so that I have it in me so I can give it back to you it's sweet because when you do the will of God uh, no matter how difficult it is it's still sweet whenever you're choosing things whenever you're choosing a life pathway a choice in your life don't look and say what's easier don't say that and say what does God want and maybe God will send you down a harder road and if he does take it because you'll always be happier sweeter taste in your mouth if you do the will of god a lot of people measure life by how difficult it is and so he gets this horrible book But he's going to eat it. And so he says, okay, I'll eat it. Let's see what happens. He said unto me, verse 4, Son of man, go, get thee the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them, for thou art not sent to a people of strange speech, but a hard language, but to the house of Israel. So we want you to go to the house of Israel. You're going to talk to my people. And uh, it's a good thing, even though it sounds like a lot of bad news. Now down to verse number 12. Now, you remember chapter 1, if you were here with us, you remember chapter 1, that when these creatures flew, there was four men in a row, and their wings touched each other. And he said, when the wings started to move, it was like rushing water. It was like the voice of God. He said, it was a huge noise. And now verse 12. The spirit took me up and I heard behind me a voice of great rushing saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. And I heard also the noise of the wings of the living creature that touched one another and the noise of the wheels over against them and the noise of a great rushing. So the spirit lifted me up, took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. So it says he went in bitterness and the heat of his spirit and God picked him up and took him for a ride. <laughs> he heard those wings, see, if you, once you heard those, you'd never forget that. And all of a sudden I hear the wings <sighs> and I feel myself being lifted up and carried by these creatures. And he said, So I'm lifted up and I'm angry. I'm angry in the heat of my spirit. I'm angry. What's he angry about? I thought it was sweet to do the Lord's will. No, well, it he says he's angry in the heat of his spirit. He said, I'm in bitterness. spirit picked me up and took me he said okay I'm going to take you now so you can do what I want you to do and he's mad he's angry why would you be angry doing the Lord's will (laughs) poor Ezekiel. I I wouldn't want to be Ezekiel (laughs) he's angry The Role, though well, it's all bad news, tasted sweet. Personally, he's angry. What's he angry about? Well, in the book, the scroll is written lamentations and woe and lots of bad news. About what? Well, he has got news about Jerusalem and the Jewish people And the king of Babylon. And every bit of that news he hates. He don't like it. He don't want it. Doesn't like it at all. What's the news? Well, here's in the scroll. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Babylon is going to set up a siege. They're going to burn that place to the ground. And Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And the Jewish people are going to go through the hardest time in their history. Harder than Egyptian slavery. Which was 430 years. Long, hard time to be slaves in Egypt. This is worse than that. It's much worse than that. Ezekiel himself. Has been pulled out of his homeland, out of Jerusalem. He was a priest, remember, so he probably lived in Jerusalem, serving in a temple. They pulled him out of his hometown, out of his place, and dragged him off to Babylon. And he's sitting by a river somewhere with the rest of the captives. The people got hauled off, and God said, "Here's the message: Don't destroy your home. We're going to lay it ruin." Your people and your families are going to die by the thousands. So there's your message. I hate that message. That's my home. I don't want that to happen to my home and my family. Those are my people. And Jerusalem, of all places, is where the the temple is. The one place on earth where people have. We're supposed to worship god correctly and now my message in this nasty old scroll that i just ate is nothing but trouble and sorrow and pain and suffering i don't want to give this message i don't want nothing to do with it i'm angry about it i don't want that to happen to my homeland so how do you like being a prophet so far yeah see we're kind of fortunate that we live when we live we live in something called the church and god made the church that was his new idea for a new age he created the church and the church is built up with people who each have something to offer. And people all work together and do their part. And it's a great movement like a body, like a bride, like a building built up. And people work together and it's a pretty happy situation. These guys, these prophets, they didn't have that. They stood alone. Lots of times they stood alone. And most of the time they died for what they thought. Isaiah, one of the finest writers in the history of the world, what a brilliant author. They cut him in half, they sawed him in half. Nice way to go, huh? Ezekiel, they're going to bash his brains out with a club. Jeremiah, they threw him in a well, left him there. How's it feel to be one of those prophets? Well, the hardest thing for Ezekiel is, I read that scroll and it tasted sweet in my mouth, but I'm not happy about it. There's a strange instruction that you're giving me. So I don't really, am not happy, but God just picked me up and took me for a ride with those angels, those ones with the wings. He said, they lifted me up and carried me. So he's not in his own control. He's under God's control. Now is the craziest, most unusual thing that I think ever happened to anybody who was a prophet. Verse 24, watch this. Spirit entered into me, set me on my feet, spake within me, said unto me, Go shut thyself within thy house. But thou, O son of man, behold, they shall put bands upon thee, shall bind thee with them, thou shalt not go out among them. And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth, that thou shalt be dumb, thou shalt not be to them a reprover, for they are a rebellious house." read this. It's a horrible book. Eat it. I ate it. It was sweet. What do you want me to do? Well, this is going to be your message. I hate the message. I'm angry about the message. Okay, here's the next thing. Go in your house and don't come out. All right, so you go in your house and stay there. Stay there. Well, it's hard to get out and preach if you got it stuck in your house. (laughs) Then he says, by the way, I'm going to make your tongue cleave to the roof of your mouth. You're not going to be able to talk. You will be dumb, unable to speak. So, (laughs) (laughs) that poor guy he must have thrown up his hands and said, I don't know what to do. You gave me a whole book, and I consumed it and made it part of my being. And you said to me, you oh, you're going to be my prophet. You're going to speak. The only thing is you can't open your mouth. You got God figured out? You think you got God figured out? Figure that one out. Figure that one out explain why Ezekiel is supposed to go be the prophet and he's getting all these things to say and God says, oh, by the way, I'm going to shut your mouth so you can't talk. <laughs> so here's a prophet told to go in his house, stay there and shut your mouth. Why? 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 Why does that happen? Well, he's not trying to be hard on Ezekiel. He's still got the message to give. only he's not allowed to speak it. Why would that be? Well, I have witnessed for a long time preaching now certain things that I notice and... I can't always explain it, but you notice it. There are people who can sit through a service week after week after week after week after month after year after year. And sit through a service and if I went up to them after service and I say, What'd you get out of that one? They'd just have a They get nothing. you didn't feel anything I don't get things when I go to church I just sit there and I've seen people like this and say well why would that be well I suppose there's various reasons for it I think one of the main reasons that I've seen is that people have had a habit of going to a church where there's nothing to learn anyway and go to church and go for weeks and years and so on and, and listen to every sermon never learn a thing. And so they have been trained to go in church and just sit there, watch the clock, wait till it's over. I had a guy tell me, he says, I know there's 87 tiles on the ceiling in my church. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <one. laughs> I don't, I hope nobody can tell me how many of your tiles are here. <laughs> but. <laughs> but. Uh, there's an issue. Is that they've come and they've heard preaching and they've heard preaching. And they've heard it and they've heard it and they've heard it and they heard, heard, heard it. And nothing ever got through ever. And you say, well, maybe it's bad preaching. Well, maybe it is. But maybe it's more than that. There's, what I don't want to hear. Don't you understand where Ezekiel's going to go? He's going to talk to people who've been listening to the best preachers in the history of the world. They listened to Elijah, they listened to Elisha, they listened to Isaiah, they listened to Jeremiah. They listened and listened and listened to preaching, and it had absolutely no impact on them at all. They were listening to preaching, listening and listening, and God sent another one, and God sent another one. You get guys like um, Micah, the prophet Micah, wonderful book, a little seven or eight chapter book called Micah, great author. They had him. They had Haggai. They had all these guys, and what'd they do? They didn't pay any attention at all. And so people come and preach and preach and preach and and go in. We just went out and did what we did before. Nothing changed. Nothing made any difference. So God says, you know what? Preaching doesn't seem to do any good with these people. They're so stubborn. They are so rock-headed. They refuse to listen. So I'm going to close your mouth. We're not going to preach to them we got a message to get out, but we're not going to use preaching to do it. I'm going to shut your mouth. Well, <laughs> now, how are you going to preach if you can't talk? I know I've heard some preachers, and I wish they couldn't talk. <laughs> you know, there's been a few, I think. Oh, if only they could be like Ezekiel. Have their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. But Ezekiel has been filled up with what to say. Now he's told he can't use his mouth. He said, there come a time, verse 27, when I speak with thee, I will open thy mouth, and thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord. He that heareth, let him hear. He that forbeareth, let him forbear. For they are a rebellious house. Anything you say to them, is a good chance they won't pay any attention. There's right, a good chance. So what's the condition of these people? Well, they have worshipped Baal. Right, they've taken Baal worship, uh, and they sacrifice human babies, newborn babies, by throwing them in a fire. Baal worship. And they worship the rising sun as part of Baal worship. And uh, Astaroth poles are all over Israel because they worship uh, the goddess of fertility, Astaroth. And they come together, and uh, in the Lord's house, uh, they have prostitutes. And God said, you can't do that. They do it anyway. You know how long they had Baal worship? Years and years and years and years and years. Gideon, when we were back in Judges, was dealing with Baal worship. Remember, he cut down the grove, said, we're not going to have this anymore. It came back, it came back, it came back, it came back. Shemash, the Moabite god called Shemash. So they worshiped that. They worshiped absolutely anything but God. Absolutely anything comes along, we worship it except for God. We will not worship God. That ought to ring in your ear in our society. Anything goes. I heard about some young fella who was on a student council somewhere and he said he was a Catholic and he didn't believe in certain things and they threw him off. Get him off of there. They put a Muslim in. He's okay. He can believe anything he wants. He can say Jewish people need to be exterminated. It's okay. But if it's God, it's not okay. So that's what was going on in Jerusalem. It got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally God said, I'm going to give you one last warning. And then I'm going to just let it go. You're going to have to suffer the consequences of your choices. You can't go on ignoring God, ignoring God, ignoring God, and then say, oh, God, bless me. I need your help. No. God says, you ignored me, ignored me. No, here's what's going to happen to you. So here's a prophet that can't speak, can't leave his house. What's he going to do? Well, let's see what he does. Chapter 4. Thou also, son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel, take thee a tile, lay it before thee, and portray upon it the city, even Jerusalem. Lay seeds against it, build a fort against it, cast a mound against it, set the camp also against it, and set battery against it round about. And so he's gonna take a piece of tile, probably a pretty good-sized piece of clay tile and he's going to scratch on the tile drawings, something that will portray the city of Jerusalem, probably Mount Zion and, and Mount of Olives and the different mountains that surround Jerusalem, maybe a picture of the temple there and the wall around Jerusalem. And he's, he's doing like an artist work, and he's scratching the city of Jerusalem on the tile. And then he's got battering ram by the gates, smash the gate. He draws them in and uh, they set up a, a camp all around it. There's an army surrounds Jerusalem all on this tile on this clay tile and so he draws a picture of it Verse 3, Take unto thee an iron pen, set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city. Set thy face against it, and shall be besieged. Thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign to the house of Israel. Lie also on thy left side, and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of the days thou shalt lie on it, thou shalt bear their iniquity. For I have laid upon thee the years and in their iniquity according to the number of the days, 390 days, so shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. When thou hast accomplished them lie again on thy right side and thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days as I have appointed thee each day for a year. And thou shalt set thy face towards the siege of Jerusalem and arms shall be uncovered and thou shalt prophesy against it. So all here's what you're gonna do. You're not gonna say a word. And you're gonna make a big sketch, big drawing of the city of Jerusalem, and it's gonna be all uh, covered with war implements of war all around the gates. You're gonna draw a picture of the siege of Jerusalem. And you gotta lay that thing down on the floor. And then you're going to take a cast iron pan, hold it up in front of your face. And then he says you're going to lay on your left side around this tile, this drawing that you've made. You're going to lay on your left side. You're going to hold the iron pan up against your face and lay on the floor. And you're going to do that or 390 days. Now, Ezekiel, I'm sure, got a lot of attention. He saw visions of God, and it says when he came back, he just sat there astonished, stunned by what he'd seen. Who wouldn't be, right? And he's stunned by what he's seen. He's seen visions of God and these marvelous creatures and the great wheels and the progress of God. He's seen it all. And he says, I came home and I sat among them all. And I just, <sighs> I didn't know what to say or do. I just sat there. I was so stunned by the vision of God. And so they sure knew that something happened. <laughs> what happened to you? I saw God. You did? Yeah. I can't say anything about it. I'm just sitting here. I'm stunned and I'm amazed. Until they know he's a prophet. Well, they expect him to preach. So, did you go over to his house? Yeah, we were in his house. What's he doing? Well, he's making his drawing. I think it's Jerusalem. On a piece of tile. You gotta go look. You gotta go see what he's. Doing. They go in there and he's laying on his left side, and he's got a cast iron pan in front of his face. And there's the drawing of the siege of Jerusalem in front of him. And he's just laying, kind of wrapped around it, with his sleeve rolled up like he's gonna fight. And he's laying there with his face covered. You got. I don't know what he's doing. Go see. Well, what did he say? He didn't say nothing. We asked him what he's doing. He wouldn't talk. didn't say a word. He sat there looking at that picture. Well, he didn't look at the picture because he's got a cast iron pan in front of his face. Well, pretty soon everybody goes, go see. You got to go see this. You know, every once in a while some phenomenon comes and everybody drives up to see it. Well, here's this guy laying on the floor. What is he doing? I don't know, I think he's trying to tell us something. It sure looks like Babylon is in real, or Jerusalem, I'm sorry, is in real trouble. And that's what he seems to be depicting and I guess what I would think is that cast iron pan in front of his face is God saying, I can't hear you, I can't see you, I'm not looking, I don't want to hear you anymore. You were warned and you were warned and you were warned and you were warned and you were warned for years and years. And you did what you wanted to no matter what, and so God stopped listening as a cast iron pan in front of Ezekiel's face to represent the fact that God's not hearing. Not listening. You're going to let it go. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and fall. And he's laying there on his left side. So they say, well, he's been there a week. Well, now he's been there a month. <laughs> you keep going and he's still there. He's there for six months. He's there for a whole year. Every day you go in he's laying on the floor on his left side. With a pan in front of his face. He was there for 390 days. Everybody stopped and looked at Ezekiel. He's there on the ground. 390 days. Well, all of a sudden, 391, he rolled over. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. He rolled over. He's on his right side now. Go look. Now everybody ought to look. He's laying on his right side. It's the craziest stuff you ever heard. Who would think of such a thing? Why? What's it all about? What's he trying to do? What's he trying to communicate? Uh, Well, Jerusalem is going to be besieged by Nebuchadnezzar. He's there for 390 days on his left side. And then for 40 days he's on his right side. Now everybody, ever since this is written everybody's trying to figure out what 390 days are and 40 days are. And they're desperately trying to figure it out. And I don't think it's that hard, Uh, but they tried a lot of things. From Abraham uh, to David is 390 years. So they think, well, that's what the 390 is. Why that would be, I have no idea. It's just, they found a number of 390. Said, that must be it. That's not it. That doesn't make sense. Then they said, well, it's the Egyptian slavery time. And 390 plus 40 is 430. And they were in Egypt for 430 years. That must be it the numbers work no that's not it i don't think that's it either um the best guess that anybody made uh it was uh, old matthew henry he's a pretty smart old fella if you look over at jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 52. Now these guys are prophets at the same basic time. Jeremiah 52... Jeremiah was in Jerusalem, Ezekiel was in Babylon. Jeremiah 52 was a king named Zedekiah. He's in charge. Verse 4, it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came. He and all his army against Jerusalem, pitched against it, and built forts against it roundabout, So the city was besieged unto the 11th year of King Zedekiah. In the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, the famine was sore in the city, so there was no bread for the people of the land. The city was broken up and all the men of war fled and went forth out of the city by night by the gate between the two walls. All right, and So we have uh, these fellows, his starts, in the ninth year in the tenth month. All right. And then we go down a little farther and uh, verse 12. In the fifth month, in the tenth month, day of the month, it was the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And so what it works out to is uh, they are there for 18 months on the siege. 18 months. All right. And so if you do 18 times 30, it doesn't come out to 390. But the siege was a little bit short because that nasty king of Jerusalem, uh, Zedekiah, called for Egypt to come and help him. He doesn't ask God, he asks Egypt. So Egypt sends an army up, and Babylon takes off for a while because they don't want to get trapped there with the Egyptian army. And anyways, uh, it's about five months, so it comes down to 13 uh, months times 30 is 390 days. And So we think that the siege of Jerusalem actually lasted 390 days, and that part of that 390 thing that he's doing there is a guess. That's what he stands for. That could be wrong, too. Because nobody can quite figure out what God's doing, He said, "Lay on your left side for 390 days, because it represents the rebellion of the northern kingdom of Israel." Now, Israel was divided into two parts: there's the northern kingdom, and they took the name Israel, and there's a southern part that split. And they took the name Judah. And I think that it's really not that complicated. The northern kingdom of Israel as soon as they split the first thing they did uh, there was Rehoboam in the south Solomon's son and Jeroboam took over the northern ten tribes. And the first thing he did was made uh, calves. Golden calves. He put one up north in Dan, uh-huh. okay. all right, all the way up north in Dan. The other one actually in Bethel, the Golden calf, in the south was in Bethel. What is Bethel? House of, house of God. Beth is means house, El means God. So the city of Bethel was the house of God. And right away, Susie takes over. He puts a golden calf, says, come and worship here. I'll make it easy and convenient for you. You won't have to go to Jerusalem. Come and worship in God's house. Worship the golden calf. And probably from right about that time to the fall of Jerusalem is somewhere around 390 years. In other words, the northern kingdom rebelled early and 300 and almost 400 years before they already set up idols against God. Southern kingdom of Judah kind of went back and forth. They had some really good kings, Asa, uh, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah. And the last really good king is a boy named Josiah. And Josiah is a wonderful king. But then you get some really bad apples. And so uh, 390 years represented in days as he's laying on his left side, and 40 years going back somewhere there when the southern kingdom turned away from God. That's really what it's about, I don't think. And the point is, when everybody's trying to figure out the numbers, how do you know when it started? God knows. You don't. I don't. I try to think back, when did we start East Shelby Church? So, well, we met in my house in 1989, and I thought about it for 30 years and I said, that ain't when it started. That's not when it started. It started before that. When people like Hazel Howard started praying for me. That's when it started back then. And my father liked birds better than he liked anything else. That's what brought us to western New York. Started then. So in God's mind, things start a lot more, a lot farther back than you think. And so when you're trying to pinpoint God and say, All right, God, show me where 390 is in the Bible. He says, I know. Don't you worry about it. I know when it started. I know the first day. When it started. And I know the first day. And so if I say it's 390 years. Just trust me. It's 390 years. Okay so. We got, we got a guy laying on his side. For a year and a month. Alright. It's a long time. Now he doesn't lay there every minute of every day. He's got other things to do too. God's got some other things to do. So let's see what else. He's got for him to do, too. All right, back to Ezekiel. This will almost make you sick. Ready? Verse 9, now chapter 4. Take thou also unto thee wheat, barley, and beans, lentils, millet, and fitches. Put them in one vessel, make thee bread thereof, According to the number of the days thou shalt lie on thy side, three hundred and ninety days shalt thou eat thereof. And thy meat which thou shalt eat shall be by weight, twenty shekels a day, which isn't much food. It's about twelve ounces. From time to time thou shalt eat it. And thou shalt drink water also by measure, six part of a in, From time to time shalt thou drink Thou shalt eat it as barley cakes. Thou shalt bake it with dung that cometh out of man in their sight. <sighs> now, baking with dung is still done in that part of the world, camel dung. But they wait till it dries, okay? And as it dries, and if you've ever been on a farm, this is normal. You're used to this. Uh, dried up cow pile of common, or you know what it's like. Maybe not you all do, but I do. Some of you know what it's like. Right? And it's dried up, and you can burn it. In, in parts of the world, they don't have trees, so they use things like that. So that part isn't unusual. Now, first of all, it's the food. Some of it's wheat, some of it's barley, so some of it is good for bread. The rest of it is junk. He said, I want you to mix it all together. So I'm reading some modern (laughs) commentator. He goes, I think it was health food. I'm going to try it. (laughs) It's not health food. It's a mixture of some good and some stuff that you wouldn't barely want to feed to an animal. You mix it together. And it's going to represent something. It's going to represent the siege of Jerusalem. Where food is going to get really short. And water is also going to get really short. So for 390 days he eats 11 ounces of bread. And he drinks about 8-10 ounces of water. And that's all he has for a long time. And he says, God says, you're going to use dried human manure to cook. And he says... I don't know about that, God. (laughs) Verse 14, he said, Ah, Lord God. Oh, my soul has not been polluted from my youth up till even now have I not eaten of that which dieth of itself, torn in pieces, neither came abominable flesh into my mouth. He said unto me, Lo, I have given thee cow's dung for man's dung. Thou shalt prepare thy bread therewith. He says, Okay, I'll give you that one. You can use cow's dung to make your bread. Ezekiel goes, Whew. (laughs) all right and so he's every day laying on this floor and they come in day after day after day after day and he's barely eating enough to keep alive and barely drinking enough particularly in this hot climate where they are and uh, he did that for 390 days which is a year and a month he did it you think they got the message well I think they got the message he didn't have to say a word matter of fact he wouldn't say anything you figure it out for yourself well it's not that hard how long have you been laying there over a year well if we think back to when we rebelled against God it was 390 years ago And now he's flipped over to his right side, and now he's doing Judah, the other southern kingdom. They didn't rebel for quite as long, but they still rebelled. And so, what's happening? 390 days is as long as the siege, right? All the time he's laying on there, Nebuchadnezzar is back there laying siege to the city. It's actually happening. Now they don't want it to happen. And back in Jerusalem, every false prophet standing up, be patriotic, support Jerusalem. Except for little old Jeremiah, he goes, this place is going to get wrecked. We need to run. Now Ezekiel, over here with the captives, is saying the same thing. What's he saying? Well, you don't have to be a genius to see. There's a picture of the destruction of Jerusalem and every message you get coming back from Jerusalem is siege, seeds, Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem. What's it like? They're starving in there. And he's eating his little mixed up health bread and drinking his water. And uh, what's it all about? It's a warning that God said he's had it. He's not going to take it anymore. That iron pan in front of his face that you're going to just have to suffer. God isn't going to help you out of this. And that's what happened. By the end of the 390 days, add 40 days, Jerusalem is pretty much under total siege and falling apart at the seams. So he doesn't have to say anything. He can lay on the floor, and you get the point. All right? What he's telling you is it's going to be destroyed, and they're all saying, no, that's our city. Get with us. Stay with us. No, they're going to be destroyed. And that's what it is. Just they're going to, that's what's going to happen. Now, you got an extra five minutes? Here we go. Chapter 5. <laughs> no. <laughs> Some things, he's a priest. Ezekiel is a priest. And so as a priest, he's got a lot of rules to follow. He's back in Jerusalem, and one of them is cooking over any kind of dung. No, 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 no. So why is God wanting him to do that? Because he's saying to them, you are polluted. The priesthood is polluted. They're all full of sin, And God's sick of it, all right? Now, the other thing that they weren't supposed to do is what he's about to tell them to do, chapter 5. And now, son of man, take thee a sharp knife, take thee a razor, barber's razor, cause it to pass in thy head upon thy beard, take thee balances to weigh, and divide the hair. So, a priest was never supposed to cut his hair, shave his hair. Matter of fact, in Israel, it was ultimately... uh, Uh, mark of oh it's like the uh, 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 total embarrassment if you shaved your hair off you you going around with your hair shaved off it's like whew that's the worst thing that could happen if you remember there's a section in the Bible where uh, uh, there's some enemies of Israel and they shaved half the guy's hair off and sent him home and he said, they all hid until their hair grew out. They can't be seen. You never shaved your hair as a Jew. Well, he's telling him, now I'm going to shave every. Take a razor or probably a sword is what it was. Sharp sword. Once you cut your hair off and your beard off. Cut everything off. And then you divide it and weigh it into three sections. Alright, so let's see what he does. Verse 2. Thou shalt burn with a fire a third part in the midst of the city. So one day they've gone in, everybody go, keeps going, hey, look, he's on his left side. And, hey, look, he's on his right side. They keep peeking in the window, and there he is there. And they look into one day. Everybody come, he's shaving his head. He's shaving his head with a sword, and he's scraping his hair all off. What's he doing now? And so they watch him, and he weighs it, <laughs> divides his hair up into three piles. Okay? And here's what he does. Verse 2. He shall burn with fire a third part in the midst of the city, when the days of the siege are fulfilled. Just so take a third part, smite it about with a knife, and a third part shalt thou scatter in the wind, and will draw out a sword after him. So he divides your hair into three sections. You got your tile there with the city of Jerusalem. Take one third of that hair and put it right in that tile. And set it on fire and burn it. (laughs) What's he doing? That's how bad it's going to be in Jerusalem during the siege. You're going to be starving. And you're going to die of starvation. So a third of the population is going to die of starvation before Nebuchadnezzar ruins the city. Then when Nebuchadnezzar's siege is over, he's going to go in and he's just going to kill people, huge amounts of people. And so then you take your sword there and you lay the the second pile of hair up and you just cut it into little tiny pieces. Chop it and chop it and chop it until there's nothing left of it. That's what happens to the people who survive the starvation. Nebuchadnezzar's going to go in and kill them by the sword, by the hundreds, thousands. And the last chunk of hair, throw it up and let the wind blow it away. Blows it all away. Because whoever's left is just like that. They've been thrown off and they're blown away like the wind. And so they either died of starvation, they died by the sword when Nebuchadnezzar took the city, or they've been carried off captive, thrown to the wind, as it were. And so a third of the population dies of starvation, a third are murdered, and the other third are cast all over the world, uh, spreading that hair all over. And then just one little interesting thing, verse 3. I shall also take there of a few in number... And bind them in thy skirts. Then take of them again. Cast them into the midst of the fire. Burn them in the fire. For there shall fire come forth. Unto all the house of Israel. This is a fascinating little story. We know Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city of the Hundreds and thousands died of starvation. We know he killed everybody pretty much that was left. We know he'd hauled off captives three or four times. And so the rest of them are spread all over Assyria and Babylon. They're all over the place. There's a little tiny bundle. So take that bundle, wrap it in your clothes. And so he's got a little bundle of hair, he wraps it in his clothes. And this is just, it's a perfect example. We finish up what he's up against. Nebuchadnezzar will destroy the city, kill people. There's still a few other people around outside of Jerusalem. And so he takes a guy who is related to the king line. That would be David's line. And he says, I'm going to make you a prince over whoever's left. So isn't it something that a son of David is given the kingdom by Nebuchadnezzar? As soon as he destroys Jerusalem, he says, you're part of the king family. You're going to have what's left. So everybody's pretty happy we actually came up with a king after Nebuchadnezzar. Problem is, he's dumber than a box of rocks. <laughs> People come to him and they say, you know, you're the king now here and Babylon's gone home. Let's, let's do this. We could do this. We could survive. Oh, I got some friends called the Ammonites. I like them. <laughs> and so the Ammonites say, hey, Join up with us. We'll help you. And so the Ammonites go in. They kill him. And the whole thing falls apart. That little tiny bundle of hair in his skirt. He pulled it up. They couldn't learn. After all this time. After all this opportunity. After everything fell apart and crumbled and burned and turned. Some of you were left. And what did you do? Join the Ammonites. And God said, you're done. that was the end of that. It could have been the redemption, the beginning of a rebuilding, could have led to Jesus Christ. If they'd only learned a lesson, don't go along with these people. First thing he did, they warned him. The Bible tells a story, how they said to him, don't go over this guy, his name was Ishmael, as if that wasn't a sign enough. This guy's name was Ishmael. He said, don't go to Ishmael, he wants to hurt you. Ah, he's a buddy of mine. And sure enough, Ishmael came in, they killed him, and they didn't find him for two or three days. Now he's dead, and everything fell apart. And so he takes that last little bundle of hair out of his skirt and burns it burned your last chance you destroyed your last opportunity that's why Ezekiel doesn't preach why they won't listen they just won't listen all right I gotta stop you can go and go and go and go this this is the craziest stuff you ever saw all right? It's not going to all be this crazy. <laughs> it's going to be unusual though. If nobody like Ezekiel. Thank you very much.